Blog Talk Radio. You're listening to Rates and Lanes with Rico Mohammed. This is the show where we improve your knowledge of the freight market, improve your bottom line, and improve the transportation industry as a whole. We're talking rates and lanes. Let's move on down the audio road. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. I am your host, Rico Muhammad, and this is the Rates and Lanes Podcast. We are experiencing some slight technical difficulties, so I'm going to need y'all to bear with me just a little bit. We're trying to uh, get Hank Seaton back on board. My computer today seems to uh, be on its last leg. I think I'm going to have to place the hard drive in this thing, so it's moving really crazy. So I'm trying to uh, get Hank back up on board with us, and while we're waiting on Hank to get back in, we'll just start off as we normally do with the this week's USDA fruit and vegetable truck rate. Now, we will have this report posted up for you if we can uh, get some issues resolved. We'll have it up for you on the Rates and Lanes podcast uh, Facebook page for you for your viewing pleasure. But this week's report, we don't have any markets that are showing any types of shortages right now currently as of uh, today when this report came out a little earlier today. But we have several markets that are showing slight shortages, and those markets are Central and South Florida. And as we've been talking about over the past few podcasts, when we talk about Florida, you know, it's always got a little caveat to it because it's 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 still kind of like the Roach Motel. Um, you may be able to go in, make sure you got something set up before you go down there. If you're working the spot market, you may be able to you may be able to get you a nice run out of there. Uh, you may get down there and get stuck uh, and and come out of there uh, barely wearing your shirt. So always be proceed with a little caution. Make sure you got something lined up before you get into Florida. Valdosta, uh, uh, excuse me, Valdelia District, Georgia, we have slight shortages being reported. Eastern North Carolina, we have slight shortages being reported. Lower Rio Grande Valley, Texas, watermelons are starting to move. Slight shortage on that end. And also Mexico crossing through Texas, slight shortages being shown there. Areas that you might want to proceed with with uh, some caution. Florida, once again, showing a slight surplus of trucks. I know I just said that we had some trucks that were uh, showing a slight shortage, but we actually have a little bit of a slight surplus as well in, in ports of Florida. Columbia Basin, Washington is reporting a slight surplus of trucks. Yakima Valley and Winchie District, Washington, is also reporting a slight plus of trucks. Areas that are reporting an outright surplus of trucks, and this is a little bit unusual. Uh, I think this is the first time I've ever seen this. Central Wisconsin is reporting a outright surplus of trucks in the area right now. So that, ladies and gentlemen, wrap up this week's USDA uh, truck and fruit and vegetable truck rate report. We're going to jump right over into this week's DAT report and let's see here. Let's see, you guys got to bear with me just a little bit because I'm trying to, I'm operating on a little bit of a different platform because my computer is not cooperating with me at all. Ah, there we go. So this week's DAT National uh, Drive-In and Capacity Report for the week of May 7th through the 13th. Nationally, both load posts and truck posts increased by 1% last week, caused the load-to-truck ratio to hold steady at 3.3 loads per truck. The national average van rate slipped by $0.02 per mile last week compared to the previous week. Van loads... Postings declined by 5% in April compared to March. Truck posts declined 12% during that same time span, which led to an 8% uh, 
overall increase in the national load-to-truck ratio at 3.5 van loads per truck. The ratio was up 127% from where it was the same time in April of 2016. Right now, the national load-to-truck ratio for dry vans is sitting at 3.3 loads per truck nationally. Let's take a look and see how the rates were performing for dry vans. Give me just a second. Got to figure out how to work my mojo on my uh, little iPad here. We're, having, we're not able to do it on my uh, computer, so we're trying to work it through the iPad. Uh, let's see here. Although van rates increased in several top freight markets last week, the national average spot market rate slipped two cents to a dollar sixty-eight cents per mile. On average, van rates increased in Atlanta and Houston, but fell in Columbus and Allentown, PA. The national average price for diesel last week dropped by two cents, down to a national average of two dollars and fifty-four cents per gallon. The national average van rate increased by four cents in April compared to March. At $1.67 per mile, the national van rate was $0.17 cents higher than it was the same time of April of 2016. Moving right along, jumping over into the flatbed load-to-truck ratio of national demand and capacity report, flatbed load postings declined by 3%, while truck postings increased by the load-to-truck ratio to, to decline by 6%, down to 36.9 loads per truck. The national average flatbed rate slipped lower last week compared to the previous week. Compared to March, flatbed load postings rose 3% in April, while the truck postings declined by 14%. That pushed the load-to-truck ratio up by 19% from 366 to 43.7 loads per truck nationally. Compared to April of 2016, the ratio has soared by 102%. Let's take a look and see how those flatbed rates were performing on the spot market. We have spot market flatbed rates dipped one cent last week to a national average of $2.08 per mile. For um, drop to two dollars and eight cents per mile. Hold on one second, ladies and gentlemen. Got a customer coming up to me. All right, I apologize about that, ladies and gentlemen. We over here loading up at a customer trying to get ready. Jumping back into this flatbed report, flatbed rates increased by four percent by four cents in April compared to March. The national average of two dollars and seven cents per mile was seventeen cents higher than it was in April of twenty sixteen. The national average uh, excuse me, I, I'm just all off kilter tonight. Let's go back. I gotta give you guys the rates from around the country for the flat um <laughs> For the dry van. So let's get back to the dry van report. Starting out around the country, we try to break this thing down regionally. Trying to get my mojo back. This the technical difficulties kind of throwing me off a little bit. So I do apologize for that. Um, but starting off in the northeast corridor for dry vans, the spot market rate thing shows $1.65 per mile. Dropping down into the southeastern portion of the United States, we have Atlanta, Georgia checking in, showing spot market rates at $1.95 per mile. We have, moving into the Midwest, Chicago, Illinois checking in, spot market rates for dry vans at $1.88 per mile. Moving down into the south central portion of the United States, we have Dallas, Texas checking in, showing average spot market rates of $1.61 per mile. And moving over to the West Coast, Los Angeles, California, leading the pack, showing a healthy 
market for dry vans at $2.01 per mile on average coming out of Los Angeles. All right, now jumping back over into the flatbed rates on the spot market uh, nationally by regions, starting out in the northeastern portion of the United States, we have $3.64 leading the pack coming out of the northeast, out of Harrisburg, PA. Jumping down into the southeast, we have Atlanta, Georgia coming in at $2.66 per mile on the spot market for flatbeds. Moving up into the Midwest, Rock Island, Illinois checking in, showing spot market rates at $0.55 per mile. Jumping down into the south central portion of the United States, Houston, Texas checking in, showing $2.38 per mile coming out of Houston on the spot market for flatbeds. And wrapping up the flatbed rate report out of the West Coast, Los Angeles, excuse me, Phoenix, Arizona. Phoenix, Arizona is the representative city showing spot market rates for flatbeds at $1.99 per mile. Let's jump over, trying to get our bearing back, looking at the National Reefer Demand and Capacity Report. For the week of May 7th through the 13th, last week, reefer load postings declined by 1%, while truck postings increased 5%. That caused the load-to-truck ratio to decline 6% to 6.1 loads per truck. The national average spot market rate for reefers moved higher last week compared to the previous week. And... Taking a look back historically, reefer load postings declined 5% in April compared to March. Truck postings declined 11%, which caused the load-to-truck ratio to increase by 6% from 6.2 up to 6.6 loads per truck. Compared to April of 2016, the load-to-truck ratio has skyrocketed by 134%. Now let's go and take a look and see how U.S reefer rates were performing on the spot market for the week of May 7th through the 13th. The national average rate for reefer rate increased two cents last week to $1.99 per mile nationally. That's the highest weekly rate average in the past four months. Taking a look nationally around the country, starting out in the northeastern corridor, Elizabeth, New Jersey checks in, showing average spot market rates for reefers at $1.63 per mile. Dropping down into the southeastern portion of the United States, Lakeland, Florida checking in, showing reefer rates at $2.14 per mile. Jumping up into the Midwest, Green Bay, Wisconsin checking in, showing average spot market rates for reefers at $2.66 per mile. Going down into the Rio Grande, McAllen, Texas, that's uh south central portion of the United States, checking in, showing average spot market rates for reefers at $2.08 per mile. And wrapping up with the West Coast, $2.14 per mile coming out of Fresno, California. And let's see, we're going to try to grab Hank, and we're going to try, and we're probably going to have to do this live on air if I can get the computer to cooperate, and I'm not so sure it is going to cooperate. Let's see here. We got it. <laughs> this is going to be my first time trying this. Uh, the way that I'm trying to do it. I'm not sure if that's going to work. All right. Let's try it this way.
Yeah, I'm trying to see. Uh, I'm doing it a little bit differently. I'm having some technical difficulties on my end. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, if you can hear me, and uh, Hank is on, on the call with me, we're doing it a little bit differently tonight because we're having some technical difficulties. If somebody could shoot me a text message and let me know that y'all can hear me, that we still on the air, that would be greatly appreciated. <laughs> so we're trying to – I'm having some problems with – I think I got a hard drive that's getting ready to crash on me, Hank, and my computer is just uh, uh, kind of toast right now. But um, I think that uh, I think that we're good. I think that we're good. Um, I've got some. I got some thumbs up. I think that we're good. Um, so tonight, Hank, like we talked about a little earlier, um, we're still seeing a lot of brokers that are trying to um, write some stuff, different stuff in, and incorporate some stuff in with the um, with the uh, Food Safety and Moderniz- Modernization Act. Uh, I sent you a couple of things over earlier in the week. Um, yes, you did. Just uh, want to kind of yeah. go back and, and elaborate on how important it is to make sure that, uh, you know, I try to explain this to people sometimes. The people sometimes, I guess in layman's terms, people really don't un- don't, don't really grasp the seriousness and, and, the, and the weight that this is going to cause if something was to go bad. Like I always say, you know, it's never a problem until it's a problem, and, and when it's a problem, it's a little bit too late to be dealing with it then. Yeah, you're right. Uh, it's unfortunate, but everybody's trying to blame uh, the FDA for uh, messing up transportation, but that is really not the case. The FDA rules are really fairly simple to implement, and they're intended to ensure that sanitary food is delivered and no one gets sick. They are not intended to change uh, cargo claims or to change the relationship principally between the shipper and the broker on one hand and the carrier on the other. What has happened is what we had feared, which is that the shipper community is taking FISMA as the excuse to uh, put the extra nail in the coffin of the small carrier with respect to cargo claims. Uh, Whoever is on the phone, I would ask you, do you know what your cargo insurance provides? My guess is that there is no one on the phone who has cargo insurance to cover the pernicious things that are being put in shipper and broker contracts. What we're seeing, what uh, RICO has sent to me, what my large and small carriers report, is that the shippers are now saying that they need the sole discretion to decide when to trash foodstuffs. They're saying in the contract that if there's a broken seal, they've got the discretion to trash it. They're saying in the contract that their decision is final and that you will pay the freight claim. All of those requirements, although they'll put in there that you've got to comply with all of these different regulations, none of what they're asking of you is really required by FISMA or the Food Safety uh, Modernization Act. With respect to cargo claims, as opposed to being sure that you've got a sanitary trailer and you've got a reefer and that you've got some uh, uh, food safety training, uh, all of the things about the cargo are just simply not there. In fact, the uh, FISMA rules say that before a shipment that could have been contaminated, you don't know, you think it is, before it can be sold for human consumption, It must be inspected. That is really nothing new. The cargo insurance that you have, uh, let's assume that it's just not reefer breakdown. Let's assume it's the best you can get. It is going to cover you so long as your insurer has the right to inspect. The shipper has an obligation to mitigate the damages and there's some determination of the salvage value. 
those three elements, the right to inspect, the obligation to reasonably mitigate the damage, and to determine whether or not the goods have a salvage value, are the three underpinnings of your insurance that these contracts want to take away and blame the federal government for it. That is not the law. So that brings us into the protocol that we talked about last time and the reason we have tried to give carriers some pushback to say, look, we warrant we'll comply with the law, but now the cargo claim is something else. Uh, From your perspective, if you get one of these crammed down contracts, that wave mitigation, that uh, wave salvage, and uh, uh, that uh, 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 wave inspection, uh, you need to go ask your insurance company, listen, somebody on a blog said, I don't have coverage for that. Is that true? Because if you just uh, trust your insurance company, you're in for a real bad hair day. If you just very simply sign that, you are assuming an uninsured risk to the extent of any broken seal and any amount that the shipper wants to bill you. Now, my concern for small carriers is when you outrun your insurance, one bad claim can ruin your year. There may be big shippers, uh, big carriers rather, and big brokers who can goose up their margin enough to cover the time it happens. But you got to figure they're basically acting like the casino. They got enough transactions that they can lose a bunch and still make money. The small man with two or three trucks can't afford to take that uninsurable risk. And that's the nature of the problem. And that's why, you know, I have suggested that there be pushback to it. One other thing that I have to tell you, I was at a conference uh, in the past uh, two months, and I listened to two attorneys that do this, and they both represent very large brokers. And uh, I was uh, overwhelmed at their apparent uh, lack of concern for the carriers that the brokers worked with They said, and this is basically a paraphrase, it's unfortunate that the shippers are demanding that. But that's business, and we're going to have to demand it from our carriers, and we know that there's some of them that will just simply go out of business. Now, you know, from my point of view, uh, I know a lot of good brokers who don't want to accept more Uh, liability than they can reasonably expect to get from the carriers because they they value their reputation with the carriers. So, you know, your option is, do you sign something that could put you out of business? Do you say, no, thank you? You say, I'm a member of the protocol. That's as far as I'm going to go. You've got to make that risk assessment. From, From my point of view, a small guy is not in a position to run the risk of uh, uh, one of these obnoxious offsets. And, uh, you know, I'm sure people on the line will have examples of it, even down to the one I gave last month where a load of bottled water was rejected because it had been on the truck too long. Really, it wasn't delivered within three days, and the uh, uh, shipper wanted to crush the the whole load. There needs to be some reasonable standard to a judge uh, cargo claims by. That's what your cargo insurance accepts, uh, expects, and that's what you need to expect. So that's enough of a monologue. Uh, 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 Rico, why don't you ask me questions about that? And, uh, well, I'm yeah. happy to go over this. I put too much legalese in it. Well, no, the, the, the main thing is that I try to get across to a lot of people and, and – you can correct me if I'm if I'm off base on this, but the main thing that I try to explain is that once you and and once you are in business or a business person, then you are kind of expected to be a little bit more savvier or or a little bit more educated, and therefore, when it comes to different things with law terms and contracts and things of that nature, 
by you being in business, then you 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 have to. It's your responsibility to to look out for your own best interest. And it's not like being a consumer where you got certain consumer protections. When you're dealing with a, in a business to business application, what we're in, then it's 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 dog eat dog, and it's every dog for for himself. As far as I understand it, and, and do I have the right understanding of how that works? Yeah, look, uh, you know, there is nothing illegal about a shipper demanding you to assume an unreasonable risk. It's just stupid on your part if you do it. And when you become a carrier, all of a sudden you become accountable for making a profit. Nobody's guaranteeing you that, uh, uh, that all you got to do is show up at work and get paid. You've got the, the the risk of having to make your equipment payments. You've got the risk of having your your equipment break down if it's not serviced at the right time. And risk assessment, the term risk assessment, is is something that is at the highest level of large carriers. They have risk loss managers, and it's their job to be sure that they're reasonably insured for the perils of the business they're in. You know, I'm a lawyer. I have never had uh, uh, a malpractice suit, but I have malpractice insurance coverage uh, uh, for that. Uh, you know, it's just a question of, uh, you know, your insurer probably tried to sell you insurance for everything. The, the, big, the big goof here with small carriers is most of them really don't understand what their cargo insurance covers. And what I'm pointing out is it certainly doesn't cover what shippers are trying to claim FISMA requires. And and I wanted to kind of make that I wanted to make that point, you know, try and connect a couple of dots, not only with this FISMA piece that we're talking about, Hank, but I also wanted to connect the dots all the way across the board as far as our industry is concerned when it comes to even buying a tractor and and, and you hear people talk about, you know, well I well, I want a new truck because I want to get a warranty and and you know how that, you know, all this stuff is contraction and legalese and how all of that stuff plays into one another. And if you don't do your homework and do your due diligence to make sure that you are making the, the turn that you said, that you are making the proper risk assessment of what you're getting into, there there is no body that's coming to save you and protect you and say, oh, that's not right. They shouldn't have done that. that if you hadn't done that on the front end, then you 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 kind of screwed yourself. Yeah, and, and and you know what you've got to look at is if you if you are a small carrier, you've got the same risk, the same duties, and the same obligations as Swift or anybody else. You are an entrepreneur. You're going to get the tax breaks uh, as a result, but you've got to be a businessman. And, you know, that's not to say that you have to have an MBA from Harvard to do it, but you have to be conscious of what your risk and operating are. You have to get good advice, and you need to watch what you sign. Now, a lot of you guys were probably came up as owner-operators, and you remember as owner-operators there was this leasing regulation, and the leasing regulation didn't really keep you from getting screwed by the carrier, but it did contain certain things, like they had to pay you interest on on your escrow. They had to settle with you in 14 days. They couldn't offset something they didn't put in writing. There was a whole bunch of legislation uh, and regulations to protect you somewhat as an independent contractor. But those things don't really exist now that you got your name on the door. Now the buck stops with you in terms of insurance. The buck stops with you in terms of cargo claims. It stops with you in terms of safety. So all of those, all of those things, uh, it stops with you in terms of uh, uh, of uh, being sure if you're running Jersey that you got uh, uh, that your license there. There's a lot that you have got to do. I'm not trying to encourage anybody on the phone from being an entrepreneur. Everybody who's got their name on a trucking company, be it Werner or Hunt or whoever it is, uh, 30 years ago started exactly where you are. 
and uh, the ones that I know uh, weren't MBAs, and and they just had an entrepreneurial spirit, and they and they grew. So I, I'm not trying to talk anybody out of the business. I'm just saying that it it I have great angst when I see a small guy who has to factor his receivables, has a broker offset a bogus cargo claim, and his factor closes him down. And then he calls me and says, what can I do? And I look at the contract he signed. And I see that he signed away uh, his coverage. His insurance company's run from him. And I read the policy, and they're not, uh, they're not going to cover something they can't inspect or mitigate. And they're just going to decline, decline coverage. And you're sitting here for six months without money and without a factor. Uh, that quickly can can draw a small man down where, you know, if you're big enough, hey, you can play the cash flow game and and uh, uh, maybe prevail or otherwise uh, hope to make it up on volume. But a small guy can't. And so, you know, that's why uh, particularly now that this is coming down, down pat, we're, we're so anxious to get the word out that there are 39,000 identifiable small carriers with uh, uh, less than three or four trucks in the refrigerated market. And they represent a big portion of the industry, uh, and uh, uh, they need not to be taken advantage of. Okay, Hank. Well, while we're I'm working on some other stuff here real quickly, tell us some other stuff that's coming down the pipe that we might need to be aware of out of uh, nationally, out of D.C., uh, well, I mean, all you got to do is turn on the TV and figure that any uh, any agenda we had hoped that would help the small people uh, uh, or help uh, competition uh, in terms of eliminating regulations or draining the swamp uh, is uh, is probably on hold. Uh, there are a couple of things. Uh, that the initiatives the current administration started. Uh, one was that they'd have to remove two regulations for every new regulation they put in. And number two, they put a hold on any regulation that wasn't finalized. Uh, although uh, that's off to a good start, the agency seems to be continuing on its own way. It does not have an administrator yet, and the uh, career bureaucrats are still... Uh, minding the store, uh, they're still trying to modify SMS methodology on the safety side. They're still acting much more like prosecutors than they are uh, uh, objective auditors. Among the proposals they tabled is to do away with the new carrier audit, which, uh, you know, you might initially say, well, gee, that was just a headache. Uh, uh, Why is that a bad idea? Well, it's a bad idea because when it comes to your insurance premium, one thing that you have got is you pass the new carrier audit, so the insurance company is going to say, well, they've been vetted and maybe uh, they're entitled to a halfway decent rate. If they were to remove the new carrier audit and if they were to continue along the line that the vast majority of carriers are going to have no safety rating, then the insurance companies are going to continue to be skittish about the market for the small carrier. I think uh, I, I'll just throw out numbers, and uh, somebody on the question and answer wants to uh, talk about it, they can. I believe that the small carriers are probably paying somewhere north of twelve to $18,000 a unit here for DI and TD and, and, and cargo. Uh, I think that the small or that the large carriers uh, could very easily have a seven or eight thousand dollar advantage on you in terms of uh, cargo insurance costs. They can buy better insurance. They can buy it cheaper. They can get in pools. That's a big competitive disadvantage. I I suppose and I know that a lot of carriers have a hard time when it comes to renewal even finding a carrier insurance companies that will insure it. And I'm not going to name names, but uh, some of the people that make the, the market are uh, 
substandard in terms of their coverage. They have no loyalty to the small carrier. They'll, they'll uh, uh, cancel you if you have a, a wreck, uh, regardless of fault. So uh, we see the repercussions of, uh, of the agency's action in the cost you pay for insurance and the availability of insurance. So all of those are things that, uh, if we were serious about reforming the uh, the agency, we we could we could look at doing uh, uh, things like getting uh, conflicting state laws off your back, uh, so that you've only got one standard to meet, not a different standard in each state. Things like uh, uh, seeing that you get a, a fair chance at safety. Uh, and uh, uh, we deal with these cargo problems. There are a bunch of issues. Uh, SMS is still around. Sometime next month, there will be a National Academies of Science report on it, and that may heat up. Uh, the ELD, I think, is uh, is still on target to, to come in. There will be a phase-in period. I don't know that the agency can get their act together by December, but that uh, that's not being held up. As we said before, the cost of a compliant ELD is not the issue. Uh, it's uh, uh, the problem that you'll you'll have when uh, there's no second log book and the shipper demands on-time delivery uh, and you're out of hours. I just uh, was looking at a contract today uh, for a client and it had in the first paragraph, time is of the essence. In the sixth paragraph, it said, if you don't deliver <clears throat> on the delivery time, we can deduct any surcharge the consignee wants to charge. Well, you know, all of that is really kind of forcing you to uh, violate the law to speed and penalizing you out of the kazoo if you don't get there at time, where there wasn't a single provision in there for uh the tension of your vehicle if they didn't unload you within two hours. So there, there are a whole lot of things that we, we could possibly do to uh, level the, the, the competition uh, by, by putting some standards in. This agency is not going to do that for you. They, uh, uh, they, don't, uh, they don't understand that the national transportation policy says they're supposed to uh, – administer the laws so that uh, privately held carriers have uh, an opportunity to compete and prosper. So uh, there are ways maybe we could uh, we could address that uh, uh, if uh, we got the right support and industry got together. That's something we'll be looking at over the next year, but uh, frankly, uh, I'm pessimistic about uh, Congress before or after Trump doing anything that, uh, that gives us uh, particular relief. Okay, you guys, I've been worked out to the point to where now I am able to take phone calls. If you guys got questions, if you want to ask a question, you can go ahead and press the number one, uh, figure out a way to get to try to get in there and uh, backdoor this thing so we can take a couple of calls if anybody has any questions. Uh, Time to get things back up, going back around uh, to the back door, well, to the front door, so to speak. Um, like I was saying earlier, Hank, the reason that uh, it's great that we have you on board with us, and I just wanted to do my talks with everybody that I bump into when we have different discussions, when it just comes down to simple things as making sure that your your name, the carrier of record on the bill of lading, from, from all this other stuff when I'm talking to different uh, motor carriers or one truck or guys, you know, one or two trucks with their own authority operating out here. I see uh, a bunch of people just really don't have a, a, a really a, a good clue when it comes to the legalities of what it is that they're signing. And it's like, well, it's, that's not that much of a big deal. That's what my insurance is for. And just like and like you stated at the top of the at the top of the hour, many of us haven't even took the time to really read and understand exactly what that cargo coverage uh, provides for us. And, and how big of a risk that we're actually putting ourselves in our business and our livelihoods in. So I, I just wanted to, you know, glad that you could kind of hammer that point on back home for us 
and and maybe you know hopefully we can save. Yeah, on the on on the insurance thing, uh, uh, you know, in in the little book that uh, you know your members have got a discount for the rules of the road. I go over uh, loopholes in cargo insurance, and uh, it they, they are there. Uh, as a lawyer, I have a difficult time looking at a cargo policy with the affirmative additions and subtractions, getting out what are they really trying to say. The insurance companies don't make it clear. If it were products liability uh, uh, applied the same way it does for consumer products, they couldn't sell it. If it were a legend drum, uh, drug, they'd have uh, uh, disclaimers coming out the, the wazoo on it. I suggest that you go to whatever agent sold you the insurance policy with some very pointed uh, questions. List for me any commodity that's excluded. Tell me, am I covered if a load is, st is stolen? Tell me, do I have, what are the exclusion for coverage? It, it, does it exclude wetness, dampness, and moisture? If I'm in flatbed, is there an untarped load exclusion? Uh, tell me in simple language. And then tell me who at the underwriter is going to help me look at contracts where people want something other than general principles of federal transportation law. Because remember, for over 100 years, if you don't sign a contract, what you're liable for is what's called the Carmack Amendment. You've always got to limit your liability to whatever the, the amount of your insurance is. If you got $100,000 worth of cargo, don't sign a contract unless you limit it to it. You could very well get a cargo claim for half a million in, and you'd owe it. Uh, any insurance company or agent worth their salt will help you understand what coverage you have and, uh, you know, I can pretty well tell you, uh, based upon your your insurance people, what coverage you have. If you if you run up on a stump trying to get that done, uh, I think uh, that uh, we've got my my name on uh, the Rates and Lanes webpage and the email address. I'll be I'll be happy to help you with it. But you know you. Uh, you, your liability, if you've got BINPD, you got FISDAM, you don't have the problems with those that you've got with cargo. You just need to know what your what your coverage is and don't outrun your coverage. Great point. I think that we have, let's see here, get back over here. We have someone that has a question. Don't think my daughter got a chance to screen them yet. We're going to grab them real quickly. Caller that's calling in from the 316 area code. You're up live with Rico and Hank. What's your name and how can we help? Rico, it's Bruce Jansen. How are you guys this evening? Great, Bruce. We working through some uh, technical issues, but we we made it. We we trying to we flying without a can without a uh, net here. So we live radio, as they say. <laughs> you don't have a safety. You don't have a parachute on either, then, do you? <laughs> no, sir. <laughs> Uh, Hank, dispel a couple truck stop Facebook rumors that I see going around regarding ELDs and, you know, I, I see people saying once I'm at my destination and my, my drive time is up, I'm out of hours, they can't force me to leave their property, uh, officers can't ask me to move if I'm on my break, you know, I can't be forced to do this or that. What... I think I know the answer, but honestly, you know, are these people just blowing smoke or are they actually telling the truth? Uh, it is kind of a Mexican standoff uh, is the best way to say it. Uh, obviously, your ELD is going to uh, record uh, uh, an incremental move. Uh you know, if if the guy is just obnoxious and he tells you you've got to get off your lot, uh, I think uh, uh, I would probably uh, footnote my log uh, uh, 
customer forced me to move. Uh, I'm not saying that, you know, that get gets you a get-out-of-jail-free card, but uh, if the FMCSA comes in to audit you, and what they're doing now is they are uh, uh, coming in and asking to see the people that are on ELDs and they run a little computer program and trying to find them based on it. Uh, I think at that point that if you moved it off a lot yet you were still on private property, I'd, I'd be more than happy to defend you if you were forced to move. Uh, it, it is true. It is true that uh, uh, when you get high-handed response from from a shipper or broker, uh, you should now have uh, more negotiating tools to tell them, look, buddy, uh, uh, you know, I'm going to be out of hours unless you unload me and give me at least immediately and give me a less 30 minutes to get off the lot or you're going to have to be looking at me because uh, i got to take my 10 hours and I don't want to tie up your dock. I mean, you know, you can kind of blame the regulations to try to get out ahead of that. Uh, but uh, uh, I'm not sure that uh, some of the dock people are going to accept that. And, you know, if they call a county mounting and tell you you're trespassing, he's probably not going to understand it either. So uh, I guess what I'm saying is I haven't seen it tried. It is true that uh, that uh, when you're out of hours, you're out of hours, and, you're, uh, and the system is calibrated to, to even pick up when you have to move at five miles. It, it is that kind of specificity that has caused most people who are concerned about the ELD to say that in terms of getting miles and getting home, they think that for planning purposes, they're going to see as much as an 8 to 12% reduction in productivity. So that's most people's informed concern about what's going to happen is, how do I get compensated uh, for, for downtime? You know, I, I, I'm losing flexibility. Somebody doesn't get me off in 30 minutes. Uh, the next guy wants a time delivery. I can't build all that fudge factor into it. If everybody wants time deliveries uh, and, and the agency says I haven't got the time, uh, that's going to be a problem for those of us in truckload. Uh, one of the things that's, that, that is happening is this whole uh, Amazon effect. Uh, all of the large carriers are now trying to develop last mile services so that the idea of using truckloads to make stop uh, truckload carriers to make stop offs seems to be uh, uh, somewhat not favored anymore. There are a number of uh, factors on uh, on truckload. Uh, uh, you know, this crazy thing about overtime, uh, uh, shippers' uh, demands for visibility. They want to know where you are every hour of the day. The changing demographics so that you don't deliver to a regional warehouse. They're looking at, uh, particularly in retail, uh, breaking it up into LTL shipments over a crosstalk. All of those things, I think, in the next five years are 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 probably going to have their effect on uh, on the truckload industry. Certainly some things are not going to change, but as Amazon has quickly proven, the idea that you're going to be delivering to a, a distribution center and then they run their, their own trucks out to make one delivery a week to the store doesn't seem to be the model of the future. So I know I've rambled a bit, but... Uh, I have uh, I have uh, I've heard that kind of truck stop talk before, and I've heard that people uh, use it as a basis to uh, uh, say in your face, Mr. Shipper, I can't I can't wait. You just can't close the doors and leave me here because I can't even get off your lot. Don't tell me to come back tomorrow. I'm out of hours. Uh, so uh, I don't have a, I don't have a straight up answer for you. I don't know that it's been that it's been litigated. Uh, I don't know whether fisticuffs have broken out or not, but uh, yeah, I, I hear the same thing you do. Well, it's going to be interesting because I, I, I've had a situation myself where I was at a shipper and uh, a certain situation like that kind of happened, 
and and the security guard was there was like, well, we're going to call if you're if you're not moving off the property, we're going to call the police and we're going to have you towed or we're going to have you arrested or whatever. You know, it's all kind of crazy uh, threats that are that are levy. And you know, what do the, the you know? I, I know you don't have probably don't have a, a, the best answer for us, Hank. But I mean, you know, what's the small guy to do because you know. Uh, um, They'll also, if you, if, you, if you try and pull some of that stuff, then they, you know, you may be at a risk of being barred from the property, from ever being able to come back to the property again. And, you know, uh, uh, <laughs> it's just a minefield of, of a whole bunch of stuff that you got to try to navigate as, you know, uh, one truck Charlie trying to provide for your family. Well, you know, I understand that. Uh uh, I'm old enough to remember, and I, Lord knows I don't want to be sound like I'm a, a re-regulator, but I remember when uh, the shippers were so abusing carriers in terms of delivery that uh, the ICC, who, who cared about competition, passed uh, uh, mandatory detention rules and says you've got 45 minutes to unload it. After that, you pay I think back then it was $25 an hour, uh, um, uh, you know, $6 a quarter hour or whatever to the carrier if you didn't, if you didn't unload him uh, and he arrived during ordinary business hours. Now you think, how far have we come from that? <laughs> now we've got a shipper who doesn't want to run a third, a third uh, shift uh, and doesn't want to have uh, a lumper on site or enough doors to unload you when you arrive who just thinks if you don't get there at 10.02, uh, he can reject the load, tell you to come back in a week, and uh, just say that's tough. Well, you know, at some point that's really abusive. And, uh, uh, again, uh, uh, there'll be a tendency on the part of the people on the phone to say, well, I'm not big enough to push back. But, you know, you're obviously every day taking, taking a risk, and I think it doesn't take people very long to realize what consignees are particularly abusive about it. So, uh, you know, I guess uh, you say, look, if you're going to send me to that dude, uh, I'm going to either have to detention or we're going to have to goose up the load because uh, I got another load going to Birmingham and there and are people that are not uh, uh, expecting time deliveries and going to leave me at the dock all night. So, uh, you know, information's power, but... Uh, at the same time, uh, uh, I'm not suggesting we all collude to come up with the, uh, with the tension, but uh, I think you ought to think about uh, uh, negotiating that on the front end. And, you know, if you've got somebody that wants you to accept extraordinary liability or special duties or uh, inside deliveries or whatever, you deserve to be compensated for it. Um, you know, I've tried to write on this. There are people that, that, that write on it fairly frequently to alert small guys as to uh, what those kinds of problems are. Uh, and, you know, uh, there are people large and small that are all over the lot in terms of how much risk they will accept. But, uh, you know, as a lawyer, it's easy for me to say, uh, you know, toe the line if you've got to get a uh, – if you're going to be denied access to freight, uh, you may be assuming risk, but at least know what they are in measure of going in. All right, Bruce, you got anything else before we wrap up? We're getting close to that time. Uh, another quick question, and it came up in a discussion with a friend of mine who is bidding on contracts with a major shipper, and the shipper said if he's not 100% ELD compliant, he will not allow that person to bid on freight. At what point does the shipper or the customer's responsibility end for me operating my truck safely? And, and do they really, other than they're assuming they have that power, do they really have it? Or at what point does their liability end and, my, and mine start? Or, or does theirs overlap mine all the way? Well, the question is in a contract since they can waive all commerce laws, they can say that uh, you can't come on their dock unless you've got a tuxedo and a purple painted truck. Uh, that doesn't mean that there's any rhyme or reason to that. 
so basically, uh, it's their freight. They get to dictate the terms and conditions. With respect to being ELD compliant, uh, what they're obviously concerned about is them being sued if uh, some carrier they hire has an accident and is going too fast uh, or uh, is violating the hours of service. Uh, the ELD is not going to change that. Somebody has told them that uh, uh, that the ELD rule is going to come in, that it's a safety rule, and that when it comes in, there are a lot of little guys that won't be compliant. There's one carrier that I will not name, but I know that they've gone to major shippers and told them all that the little guys won't be able to have the ELD, so don't don't put them out for bid. Uh, and they're trying to say, give us the business uh, as a broker, and uh, we'll put our own trucks on it, and we'll be sure that uh, we're compliant with the new safety regulations. So there are people out here that are trying to say, that little guys are renegades, they're not going to be able to have the ELD and convince the shipper that the ELD is a safety monitoring system, and if you haven't got one, you haven't got one because you're not, uh, uh, don't want to comply. Now, of course, there's a difference between an ELD, which uh, uh, reports to the, to the uh, your hours of service for compliance purposes, and what I'm seeing, which is macro point, and all of these tracking mechanisms where right. the shipper actually wants to have visibility and know where you are. Now, if a shipper puts in a contract that he wants visibility because he wants to be able to communicate with you using in-cab technology, you need to say that's the dumbest idea you ever came up with because you certainly don't want to be controlling my driver. Right. You know, uh, I'm I'm involved uh, in, in a lawsuit now in which uh, the broker is being taken to task because he required MacroPoint to be on the truck, and the plaintiff's bar is just saying, well, look, you had the ability to see that that guy was out of hours. You had the ability to see that he was speeding, and you didn't even bother to check, did you? Uh, and then they come in and say, you know, I see this thing in the contract about him being an independent contractor and being solely responsible for safety, but actually you accepted that burden. You even required to micromanage him through macro point. Wow. So, you know, there are two, there are two sides to that story. And uh, I've, done, I've done presentations on, uh, on the idea that one man's visibility is another man's coercion. Uh, one thing that... Uh, one thing that uh, uh, can be used to get back to uh, our earlier discussion is there are now coercion rules that say that if a shipper directly tries to coerce a driver to violate the regulations, you can whistle blow and the company can be responsible for a penalty. So that might be something that you could use uh, in the in the get off my lot uh, argument. You could say, hey, look, buddy, I'm out of hours. I told you I was going to be out of hours. You can't force or coerce me to leave because I'll be in violation of the hours of service, and there's a coercion rule against that. So that's that's one thing now that I think about it that you, you might be able to use if they require you to move and you're out of hours. Usually we think about that coercion rule when a guy uh, is getting loaded four hours later and says, look, man, I can't make Hunts Point by 10 a.m. And they say, well, you're loaded, buddy. That's your unloading time. Hit the road. Then, you know, that's what we think about is coercion. Uh, but I guess it could happen uh, when he just says, get off my lot and you're out of hours. Hmm. I tell you that that is very interesting to see how how entangled that web can be if you're not careful. Not only for uh, not only for us as motor carriers, but also how these these brokers are are, are born right back and creating that same vicarious liability that they were trying to avoid. Well, the brokers the brokers are actually more some of them are more sophisticated than that. What happens is their vendors of these uh, 
visibility things that uh, are allied members of the Brokers Association and everything else, and they won't put on seminars talking about visibility. And shippers are into visibility. You know, Amazon is doing it, and now everybody else is. If you uh, go out and read uh, uh, today's trade mags, you'll see that Werner uh, ha- is offering a new program. It's white glove delivery, and it's matched together with some uh, shipment tracking system. And, of course, what they're going to do is try to cut into the Amazon experience. It's one thing to track a shipment. It's another thing to have in-cab technology to talk to a truck driver. You know, uh, there there are a lot of benefits to Amazon and Uber because they're designing their systems based upon a clean piece of paper. Uh, RFID tracking of shipments is one thing. Being able to call a truck driver and say, why in the hell aren't you at the at the dock, your appointment ends in 35 minutes is, a, is another thing. Wow. Wow. Well, Hank, we definitely appreciate you taking time out of your schedule to come on board with us and share and impart us with a, with a little bit of knowledge to try to get us a little better prepared for the world that we're facing out here as small guys, as motor carriers. Uh, won't you tell everybody again, Transcomply, I'll help out a little bit. Transcomply is the website. If you want to get involved, if you are a uh, food, if you're transporting any type of food, say uh, foodstuffs, you need to get with uh, Transcomply and uh, check them out at transcomply.com. Get involved with the uh, protocol. There's a couple of little steps that you got to do. You know, you pay your fee and, and uh, you make sure you go get your stuff notarized and everything. But it's really a really quick turnaround if you do what you need to do on your end to get uh to get your certifications. Um, I'm, I'm definitely glad that I did, and I'm, like I said, still seeing a lot of stuff coming in from uh, different brokers about uh, about this Food Safety and Modernization Act. So Hank, won't you tell uh, everybody how they can get in contact with you if they need yeah. uh, any type of your services? Yeah, my email is uh, uh, the easiest thing. Just remember this, transportationlaw.net. That's .net, not .com. You can get my contact information there. Uh, Just to summarize what Rico is saying about the protocol, uh, we are publishing the list of compliant carriers who warrant that they do the training and meet the basic requirements of FISMA. The, uh, uh, The value of that is in the vetting process when somebody uh, wants to give you a load and says, well, uh, you know, you need to sign all of my contract addendum, make all these warranties, you should say, look, I know all about food safety. Uh, I'm, uh, uh, I'm, I'm a signatory to uh, uh, this website. You can go and see that uh, all my people are trained. You can see that I, that I warrant that uh, – you know, I, I know what is involved in, in food safety training and that I will comply. So since I meet the minimum standards, you ought to be able to vet me with this and the fact that uh, this website says I've got insurance and give me that load. So, I mean, you know, it's going to be kind of hard uh, if somebody says, are you FISMA compliant, and you say, well, what's that? Uh, you know, <laughs> you're going to need to be able to say that you meet the minimum standards and, you know, my desire is to uh, uh, convince more and more brokers to endorse it. Already we've got, uh, 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 you know, people like KLM and, and Alan Lund endorsing that motor carriers should join it and trying to hold the line on that being the, uh, the standard, not only for FISMA compliance, but also to not contaminate this cargo claims issue. So... Uh, you can go to transcomply.com. Uh, uh, Rico, you have you have that on your website, don't you? Absolutely. We'll, we'll, we're going to repost it. We try to repost it every time you come on. And I just can't stress, uh, even even some, some Drybox guys may even need to be a part of this. Cause I'm thinking about yesterday, Hank. I was making a delivery at a place up in uh, North Carolina, and a guy with a Drybox, he had a load of pickles. And uh, – it was a bad wreck that happened in North Carolina yesterday, and uh, he said that, you know, he was trying to avoid a, a car or something pulled out in front of him, 
and he was trying to avoid the car. And the loads, long story short, the load, the load shifted on him, and the poor guy was sitting at the dock, pickle juice running all out of the drive box trailer, and uh, stuff was everywhere. So I, I could only imagine what he was getting ready to be looking down the pike at as far as a, a claim uh, is concerned. But, I, I, you know, just to say that even as a drive box carrier with a full-grade trailer, you may want to uh, – you may you may fall under that, that rule as well. Oh, yeah. Oh, oh yeah. The temperature is just one aspect of it. If it's uh, if it's not shelf-ready and, it, and if it's produce, there's a whole hell of a lot of produce that probably falls under FISMA that's just got uh, – vented back doors so uh, uh clearly if you're hauling stuff that's fit for human consumption of dog food you probably you could very well fall under FISMA but the, the shippers when you sign that contract aren't making that distinction they're right. they're saying they want the right to reject crush and dump it they say if it's a broken seal they want to destroy it destroy it and they'll destroy uh, a, a a load of uh a flour uh, or oatmeal in bag just as quick as they will, uh, you know, uh, something that has to be kept at 38 degrees. Because they well, say it with, could have been contaminated. Absolutely. Well, Hank, like I said, we want to we, we don't want to uh, abuse your time. We appreciate you taking time out, coming on with us, and explaining and breaking some things down for us. We look forward to speaking with you again same time next month. Uh, That'll be Rico, great. Yes, sir. This is Rico Muhammad signing off for the Rates and Lanes podcast. God willing, we'll see you guys and talk to you guys next week. We're working on some stuff to try, and uh, if I can get my technical stuff squared away, we might start trying to do uh, 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 some live video feeds for the show. Uh, but that's something that we'll work on right now. We, we just it was crazy tonight trying to get the technical stuff uh, squared away. We finally got it squared away. We thank you guys for being patient with us. Thank you for guys for the support. We'll see you next week. You guys be safe out there. God bless you and good night. Good night, Hank.